Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jess. When God was leading his people out of Egypt, they've been there for 400 years, they've been oppressed, and he was delivering them, he was setting them free, he got Moses to bring his people out of Egypt, and he had promised this land, he was given this land that they would live in, he established them as a people, established this, uh, their kingdom from slavery and oppression to having their own place and being uh, their own kingdom, God gave them in that process, he gave them the law. He gave them the, old, the, the Ten Commandments. And he said, this is going to identify you as my people. You're going to follow these statutes. You're going to follow these laws. And then he started something there that has really like, it, it's all the way through our scripture. And it's tucked away in Leviticus, and which I know you, you guys do your quiet time in Leviticus all the time. So like, I'm just reminding you today that he says, speak to the people, Moses, tell them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I'm bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules. Keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. So front end, back end, I am the Lord your God. Don't live like the Egyptians. Don't live like the people in Canaan that I'm gonna give you their land. Don't look at them and try to fit in with them and that culture and do what they're doing. Don't live according to their ways and their statutes. You have a different calling. You're going to look different. You're gonna live by my statutes and by my decrees and by my rules and by my standard. And it's gonna, it's gonna set you apart. It's gonna identify you as a different people. I hope that what you're seeing as we've been unpacking the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and teaching, I hope that you're seeing the same thing. I hope that you're seeing these beatitudes as these proclamations. That word beatitude is the Latin word that means blessed or comes from that word. And Jesus is proclaiming these truths. He's basically saying, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of my kingdom. When, when we started the book of Matthew, Kai pointed that out for us, that this is Jesus establishing his kingdom. That's Matthew's focus, is looking at the, the kingdom that Jesus came to establish as Messiah. And then as he begins to teach, he makes these proclamations. Here's what it looks like to be in this kingdom. And it's different. It's, it should look, our lives should look different. And, and guys, if if you don't know that the Bible's relevant to us, like that's, that should make you pause. That should arrest your minds. Like 
in our culture today where the pressure is on us to fit in to everything around us all the time, here's what Jesus says. No, your life's supposed to look different. Don't live like the Egyptians. Don't live like the Canaanites. Don't live like the world. Don't live, don't live according to those standards. You're called to a different standard. You're called to a different way of life, and it should look different. The world doesn't celebrate this idea of being poor in spirit and mourning, and Jesus says that's the blessed life. The, the world doesn't celebrate being meek. Jesus says, no, blessed are those that are meek, who restrain their strength, who don't, don't make the world all about them. The world celebrates hungering and thirsting after a lot of different things. Jesus says, no, you're going to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Your, your hunger, your passion is going to be for something completely different than everyone around you. Your, your life is supposed to look different. That's the proclamations that he's making. Blessed are you when, you when your life reflects these characteristics, when this is the way your life looks because this is the standard. This is the way I want you to live. This is the way life will make sense. It won't look like it on this side, but when you embrace this, life will begin to make sense. Another way you could say this is the weird is the new normal for us. It sounds ridiculous, but it's true. Like, we, we should be a little weird. We, we, the culture around us that has no idea what we're talking about, they should look at us and they should maybe be intrigued, maybe, maybe even be curious and to want to know what's going on here, but they should at least identify that we live differently. They should at least look at this and go, man, this, these people have a different standard. They, they treat people differently. They act differently. They respond differently. Like, we, we should... Weird is the new normal. Parents, you got kids? Raise your kids to be weird. Some of you are like, well, got that one. <laughs> Check. Thank you, pastor. <laughs> Raise your kids. It's, it's okay to have kids that are a little weird as they relate to this culture. And and if you do that, you don't have to tell them that. You don't have to tell them, hey, I'm raising you to be weird, because they'll know. They, they will know that real quick. But it ought to be okay. How we view all the things that they're having to view, they ought to have a different lens to look through it. Like, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean to mourn? What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness? I think we ought to spend that kind of time there. I think we ought to really, really lean into that. But here's the danger in that, and you guys know this, the danger is that you miss the forest for the trees, that you get so focused on the one thing that we're talking about that you miss that big picture. And so I wanna, I wanna remind us that Jesus is not giving a multiple choice thing here. Like this is not, hey, um, pick the one that you wanna be and be that. I don't really wanna be meek, so I will just hunger and thirst after righteousness. No, it's not a multiple choice. I don't wanna be meek, but you should be meek. I don't want to be merciful. You should be merciful. It's not, it's not a multiple choice. He's describing, here's what it looks like to be in the kingdom. Here's what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. It's, all these characteristics should be present in our lives. It's kind of like that fruit of the spirit. This is what God is producing in our lives. This is what God is doing in our lives, and this is what it look like, should look like. So don't miss that big picture that it's all of these make up a citizen of the kingdom. And as you look at the big picture, I think that you start to see a connection between each and every one of these. It's, it's so easy to forget that when you isolate them the way that we're isolated. So let me just remind you that they all seem to be connected. When you're poor in spirit, it means that you realize, I, 
I need Jesus. I have nothing to offer on my own in righteousness. I'm a sinful person and a savior. I need Jesus to rescue me. And so that poor in spirit, you realize all I did was sin. All I did was rebel. I offered nothing to him. And it leads you to mourn. It leads you to mourn over your sin, to, to, to feel really sorry for your sin, to mourn over it. And when you realize that you don't bring anything to the table, then you realize it's not about you. It leads you to a, an attitude of being meek. It just kind of seems to be connected. And then those first three kind of talk about our emptiness, that we're meek, that we're mourning, that we're poor in spirit. We have nothing to offer. And so we need something to fill us up. And guess what fills us up? The only thing that will really satisfy us is righteousness, is pursuing Christ with all that we have. And so when we realize that we're empty, then we can turn and we can pursue the thing that will really fill us up. So all these things that he's talking about, these inner qualities, inner characteristics, then start producing in us some ways that we show that up in our lives. And that, that's where we are today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When you realize that you are poor in spirit and you've mourned over your sin and you realize you've brought nothing to the table, that God rescued you and redeemed you anyway, when you realize that, you all of a sudden start seeing other people around you with needs. People don't, they're not an inconvenience anymore. They're people that are needy around me. Why? Because I realized I had nothing. I needed everything. I needed to be rescued. And the people around me that irritate me all the time, all of a sudden I see them through a different lens. Because I see their needs. And so all these things that Jesus is saying describe the kingdom and how we live in the kingdom. They all connect to each other. And when we're poor in spirit, we mourn over our sin, we're meek. It's not about us. And we're hungering after righteousness. This righteousness starts to show up in our lives. And one of the first fruits of that is mercy. Mercy, according to Jesus. So, blessed are the merciful. What does that mean? What, what is mercy? Now, mercy has, it has some legal connotations. The, the way that I tend to describe mercy the most is, is kind of this. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. And what I mean by that is in the negative sense, like they deserve punishment or they deserve consequences for their misbehavior. And so I, mercy is not giving that to them. It's, it's forgiveness. And so when you talk about God not giving us the punishment that we deserve. We brought nothing to the table. We were poor in spirit. We were bankrupt spiritually. We didn't, we didn't earn our way back to God. God showed mercy to us by not punishing us according to our sins. Instead, he punished Jesus in our place. It doesn't make us pay the penalty that we should have to pay for our sin. That's mercy. Mercy is just a very simple form. It's not getting what you and I deserve for all of our sin, all of our mistakes, all of our failures. When you get pulled over and you were speeding and you know you were speeding and you were caught speeding and they don't write you a ticket, when the officer decides to let you off with a warning, that's mercy. You deserved a, a, a fine, a violation, a speeding ticket. And he doesn't write you that ticket. That's a picture of mercy. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. But in the Bible, and I think when Jesus says this, it's actually a lot bigger than that. Because it's not just forgiveness. Forgiveness is great and it's a part of mercy, but it's not just that. It's bigger than that. And it, and it looks like this. Mercy is genuine compassion expressed in genuine help for those in need. 
You wanna know what Jesus is talking about here, what the Bible talks about when it uses this idea of mercy? That's, that's a good place to start and camp out. It's genuine compassion expressed in genuine help for those in need. It's looking at the world around us and because I realized I needed Jesus to rescue me because I had nothing to offer him, I can see the world and I can see the needs. But I don't just see them, I have compassion. Genuine compassion. And genuine compassion will always show up in action. Mercy is meeting people's needs. It's feeling their pain and then doing something about it. Genuine compassion expressed in genuine help for those in need. And what Jesus is saying is the people of my kingdom are going to be givers, not takers. The people of my kingdom are going to see needs and they're going to feel compassion on people and they're going to meet those needs because they can Genuine compassion, producing genuine help for those around us in need. That's mercy. That's what it is. There's so many different ways we could talk about that. There's so many different ways we could illustrate that. There's so many different examples. I could even pull out within our body of our church and say, that's what mercy looks like. That's what mercy looks like. This is it in action. This is compassion in action. This is meeting people's needs. But I wanted to go to an example that Jesus gave. This example is found in Luke chapter 10, and it's a very, very familiar story to many of you, I would imagine. But I want to read it. I want you to read it and just kind of, even if you've heard it a bunch of times, read it, follow along on the screens as the words are up there, and and just think about this story, because Jesus is giving us a picture of what it looks like to be a citizen of his kingdom and show mercy to people in need. Jesus replied, a man was going down, Luke 10, verse 30. From Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. He's in need, big time need. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So you, you, you see the picture here. This guy was taken by robbers. He was beaten. He's half dead. He's laying there on the side of the road. And a priest comes by and sees the man. He says he sees him in need. And he moves to the other side of the road so he could pass by. Does nothing to help. Priest. The minister of God. Performing ministry in the temple. The priest. Passes by on the other side. A Levite comes. Same exact story. Sees him, moves the other side, passes by. A Levite, not a priest, but he worked in the temple. He performed ministry in in helping the priest. You got two guys in ministry that that completely ignore the need. This is a pastor and a worship leader. That's what it is. It's Kai and Nick just completely ignoring this whole thing. Okay, I know that's silly. Nick would never do that. Nick would never do that to you guys. Um, and Jesus is making a point. And then, and then the surprise comes because then a Samaritan shows up. They don't like the Samaritans. Samaritans don't like them. They don't talk to them. They, don't, they walk around Samaria so they don't have to go through that part of the country. A Samaritan shows up. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him... He had compassion. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever else you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus asked, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Go be a citizen of this kingdom. Go show mercy. See the need. Have genuine compassion. I mean, it's so interesting that the priest and the Levite, who should know better, saw the need. No compassion. No no help. I'm going to move over. This is not convenient for me in the moment. I move over here. This is, that would cost me time and resources and who knows what. And I'm going to move over here. I'm going to pass by and I'm gonna, I won't ever tell this story. But the Samaritan, he stops. He sees the same need, sees it exactly the same way, but compassion takes over. That's what it says. He saw the man and he had compassion on him. And that compassion, because it was real, wasn't out of duty or obligation or anything. That compassion motivated him to help. Genuine compassion produces genuine help. So he goes and he, he treats his wounds. He binds up his wounds. He apparently put essential oils on him, like it says that right there, oil and, oil and, and wine. <laughs> he put him on his animal. He took him to the inn. Put him at the end. Says the next day he left. So he took care of the guy the rest of that day and, and through the night. Cost him greatly. When they were describing it later, they said, oh, the, yeah, that Samaritan guy, he's the one who showed him mercy. That's what mercy looks like. Genuine compassion expressed in genuine help for those in need. So how, how do we do that? We don't have enough time to explain all the ways, so let me try to simplify it in two different ways that I think mercy shows up in our lives. Mercy is shown in our actions, first and foremost. I mean, that's so easy to see in the story, that's so easy to see in the Bible, that mercy shows up in how we act. Genuine compassion is not genuine if it doesn't produce genuine help, and so it shows up in us feeding the hungry. It shows up in us taking care of people. It shows up in some of the things that we've put in front of you guys over the last few weeks even, and, and really since our church has been here, trying to meet needs around us. There's a new need for mentoring some kids at risk in the Rockwall School District. That's a merciful act for you to move towards them. It shows up in you cleaning out some things of our surplus and giving good items to people in need that are refugees that have had to start over with nothing in Fort Worth, and our students will go and take those to them over spring break. That's, that's mercy. It's meeting needs. Seeing needs, meeting needs shows up in action. So many ways we could describe that. So many ways I could commend you guys for that. But mercy also shows up in our attitudes. It's genuine compassion that produces genuine help. And so mercy shows up first and foremost in how we think, right? Like how we view people. Are they people that, that are inconvenient to me? Or are they people that are in need? Mercy shows up in our attitudes. Mercy shows up when we overlook an offense. And we talked about that when we did our series on conflict, dealing with conflict. That sometimes, the Bible actually says that, sometimes you have the choice to overlook an offense and to say, that's not a big deal. I'm not going to hold that against that person. That's mercy. It's not giving them what they, they might deserve, some punishment. And it's mercy. 
to show them that, to say, I'm going to overlook an offense. In order to do that, you have to have this attitude where you choose to believe the best about someone instead of choosing to believe the worst about someone. Now, let's just stop right there. (laughs) How many problems in your life right now could be solved? I'm not talking about Band-Aids on open wounds. I'm talking about problems that could be solved if you chose to believe the best about someone instead of the worst about someone. My life too. Oh, I know they've always done this and this and this and it's always been good, but that time they stepped out of line and they offended me and so I'm gonna choose to believe that that's who they really are. No, no, no. Mercy says, I'm gonna believe the best about that person. I'm gonna believe that this is who they really are over here. How many things in the world would, would be solved? Let's just talk about within the body, okay? I'm not, mercy's a big thing and it extends like the Samaritan man. It extends to our enemies, to people that are not like us at all. It definitely extends there. But let's just talk about within the body, how we get along, how we treat each other with mercy. We don't have to talk about enemies yet because Jesus is going to talk about that in the next chapter. <laughs> and we choose to believe the best about someone and then we choose to respond to them as if we believe the best about someone. How would this change your relationships in here? How would this change relationships on whatever group you're in? How would it change your marriage? Oh yeah, I did it, I went there. In your marriage, do you realize that you need actions and attitudes that express mercy to each other? In your marriage, you need that. If you don't think you need that in your marriage, then you might not be married. (laughs) Check your papers. Like, you need that all the time. To choose to believe the best, to overlook an offense. To choose not to hold something against somebody. To choose not to hold a grudge. In your marriage, you need that. Kids, you got siblings? Students, you you got siblings around you and they get on your nerve? You know, the Samaritan man could have shown up and said, I bet you deserved to be beaten today. <laughs> you should have never been out. This is a bad place. Robbers are, you should have known better to be traveling alone. They could have given him a lecture about all the things that he did wrong. No, he just showed up and met the needs. And man, I watch siblings all the time that are so good at pointing out the faults in each other. You need to show mercy. You need in your actions and in your attitudes, and maybe it needs to start in your attitude of looking at them going, I'm going to assume the best about my sibling for the first time ever. <laughs> I'm going to try something new. See what the result of that is. Mercy is shown in our actions and it's shown in our attitudes. So students, it's, you give mercy to your parents. Because you know as a teenager, your parents do not have a clue. You know that. I, I know it because I don't have a clue. And so you're going to show mercy to them. You're going to choose to believe that they actually have your best interest at heart in the things that they tell you to do or the things that they take away from you. It's mercy. Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, we're going to be characterized by that, by mercy, in our actions and in our attitudes towards each other. That's what mercy is. That's how we show it. Why? (laughs) Why would we do this? 
And I think that's, that's such a great thing about these, these beatitudes, these proclamations, is that Jesus says, this is, this is how you live a life that's blessed. This is how you experience the blessing of God in your life. But not just that. Every one of the beatitudes has a promise on the other side. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you realize that you have nothing to offer, then you realize and you can accept the gift that Jesus gives us of salvation. When you mourn, you'll be comforted. When you hunger after righteousness, you'll be satisfied. That'll really, really satisfy you. And here's what he says to those of us who want to embrace this idea of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, if you're writing stuff down today, I want you to write it down this way. The merciful will receive mercy from God. And I want to make that distinction because I don't want you to think this is some kind of promise that Jesus makes where if you will show mercy, you'll get mercy back from other people. You know that doesn't work, right? That, that's, you may think, well, I'm going to name and claim that thing, but that don't work. I'll show mercy, and then everybody else will be merciful to me. No, they probably won't. There's nobody that ever lived that was more merciful than Jesus, and they killed him. In John chapter 8, there's that story where the woman's caught in adultery and he does the whole writing in the sand thing that we don't know what was going on there, but he basically, all the accusers that are condemning her leave. They want nothing to do with it. And he says to the woman, hey, is anybody here condemn you? Who's condemning you? Anybody? She says, nope. He goes, neither do I. Mercy. The end of chapter 8, they're picking up stones to try to, try to kill him. So Jesus is not saying... If you show mercy to people, you'll get mercy poured back on you from the rest of the world. Now, what he's saying is that when you show mercy, you receive mercy from God. And that'll be good enough. That, that'll be more than enough for each and every one of us. The, the merciful will receive mercy from God. So, some of you have been around Cross Point for a long time, and you know that like your gospel filter sort of like just sounded an alarm. Like that doesn't sound like gospel, does it? It sounds like we're earning God's mercy by being merciful. That's it's kind of the way it's worded. It's like, oh, so I, if I'm merciful, then I will get mercy back from God. But you you take that gospel filter and that gospel lens, and you lay it on everything that you see. Because you know the truth that we don't earn anything. You know that the truth is that Jesus started with we are poor in spirit. We don't have anything to offer. So he's not changing the story midstream and saying, but if you will be really merciful, then you can earn this. No, 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 that's not what this is about. These beatitudes are not conditions. They're promises. You understand the difference? They're not conditions. If you do this, then God will. No, Jesus is saying no I promise this, and because I promise this, you're going to begin to take on the characteristics of these people that live in my kingdom. Does that, does that make sense? Like, the people who show mercy are the ones who understand the mercy they've been given. You want to be merciful. It's not about you trying harder today. It's about you really looking more at God's mercy and understanding that better. So you're going deep in your understanding of what God has rescued you from, the mercy that he's shown you, the punishment that you deserve, how he, he met your ultimate need for salvation in Christ. And in the process, Christ took the punishment that you and I should have had to take. 
And the more we see his mercy, it produces mercy in us. And so then Jesus makes this proclamation. Those of you that show mercy to others, it's because you understand mercy. When you're merciful to others, it's because you really understand that God has given you mercy. There's another story in Matthew chapter 18 where it talks about that. Jesus gives another parable in Matthew. A little bit later on, we'll get to this, where he talks about this servant who owed his master a ton of money. The master said, come in, I need you to pay this. He said, I, I, can't, I, can't, I don't have that money. I cannot pay that. The master said, all right, I'm selling you off as a slave and your wife and your children. I'm taking all your possessions as payment. And the servant, he fell down on his knees and he began to beg, oh, please, please, just give me time. Be patient with me. Let me have some time. I'll pay it back, I promise. And so the master had pity on him, compassion on him. And in that moment, he said, you know what? It's fine. I'll I'll forgive your debt. I will cancel your debt. And that servant walked out of that room and he walked out down to the hallway and he saw another servant in the house who owed him some money, not anywhere near the mount that he was owed the master the small sum of money and he grabbed that servant by the throat and started choking him and saying, pay me what you owe me. The servant said, I, I can't do it. He fell down in front of him and said, please, just be patient with me. Let, me. let me have a chance. I'll pay you back, I promise. And he said, no. And he threw that servant in prison. And all the other servants saw that and they were completely shocked by it. They were dismayed by it. And they ran and told the master what had happened. And the master was furious. And he came and he called the other servant in. He's like, what in the world are you doing? I forgave you this huge debt. And then you decide to go and punish this guy for this small debt? You obviously don't get it. And he threw him back in prison. And Jesus tells that story to, to remind us. If you don't show mercy to other people, it may be because that you don't understand the mercy that you've been shown. Think about that and think, put it in a real life situation in your head. When we forget, and, and that story's kind of crazy because I'm like, you just got forgiven this huge debt and he walked out of that room and it looks like he forgot. I don't think he forgot. I think he thought, yeah, I probably, owe, I probably deserved to be forgiven. He thought something about him made that master show compassion and mercy in that moment, that he had earned it in some way. I think that's what really happened. And so this guy has apparently not earned it, and so he treats him differently. And guys, as soon as we forget the mercy that God has shown us in Christ, it'll destroy our opportunities to show mercy to the people around us. I think that's what Jesus is saying. Blessed are the merciful They're going to receive mercy for all eternity. There's a future tense to it, but it's because they know that they've already received mercy, that God has forgiven them. He has chosen to punish his son instead of them, and he's mercifully set the record clean. And when we know that, when we understand that, we walk in our world with mercy towards each other. Now, you understand that Justice is involved in God's kingdom, right? God is a God of justice. And it's not God is merciful sometimes, and then sometimes he's a God of justice and wrath over here. No, God's always the same. He's always, those things come together perfectly, maybe in some ways that we don't understand. But this one is pretty easy to understand because on the cross when Jesus died, God was both just and merciful in that moment. 
He punishes Jesus who didn't deserve any punishment so he doesn't have to punish us so we can receive mercy. But he's just. He doesn't just excuse the sin. He punishes. The sin was punished that day because our God is holy and just but he punished Jesus instead of us because he's merciful. So there's, there's times when you have to be a little bit more on the side of justice, if we're honest. There's times you can't just overlook all the failures of your kids and all their mistakes. You have to give some consequences. You have to give some punishment. There's times that you have to set boundaries with people. There's time for us to exercise justice in our world. But maybe we could lean a little bit more on the side of mercy. I don't think we've ever been accused in the church in America of being too merciful. <laughs> maybe we could maybe we lean on that side for a little bit. Knowing what Christ has done for us, trusting Jesus with all of it, with justice, mercy, all of it. We'll just lean over here and be more merciful and be known for that. In Ephesians it says that God is rich in mercy. You've got mercy for days. And it overflows to us. And because he's so rich in mercy, it overflows to us and we get just kind of overwhelmed. When we stop and think about it, we're overwhelmed with what he's done and the mercies he's shown us. And if, and if we're really focusing on that, it begins to overflow out of our lives into the people that we're doing life with right here. And then it begins to overflow into people in our community. And it begins to overflow to the ends of the earth. We become rich in mercy because God is so rich in mercy and it just flows from him into our lives and out of our lives into the world. Let's be that people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love and thank you for your mercy. We did not deserve mercy. God, you gave it to us. We didn't earn it. We needed to be punished for our rebellion, and you punished your son, Jesus, instead. And so, God, we want to say thank you. And we want to we look at it and focus on it and think about it and meditate on it in such a way that it begins to, con and it continues to produce mercy in our lives, in our actions toward each other, and in our attitudes towards each other. And God, I pray that you'd be glorified in every single bit of that. It's in the name of Jesus, our merciful Savior, we pray. Amen.